I'm Clarence. And I'm DJ Nuna. And you're listening to Up in the Air. A podcast exploring the creative, social, and political world around us. Featuring conversations with our lovely friends and special guests each episode. Stay up in the air and come float with us. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Um, we're hoping that you have had a really great week um, and just thankful that you're taking some time to listen into our pod. Um, today, we have a really amazing guest. We have Champ. Um, Champ is a really talented editor at World Famous and um, also a filmmaker and director for Yai Min, which is a beautiful documentary about his Thai grandmother. Um, and Clarence and I are just really excited to have him on today to talk about his experience as a creative in the industry. Um, as a filmmaker, um, we're eager to talk about representation and future projects. Um, but yeah, Champ, how has quarantine been for you? Um, how are you doing in general? Um, today is actually really nice in Seattle right now. We had a you know, typical Seattle winter, but I might go on the bike today. And I encourage everybody, um, I don't know who all out there bikes, but it's been a good excuse, uh, especially this past 12 months to be on the bike just to kind of see how everyone's living, but also to like get out of the house, be out in the sun for however much you can. And um, yeah, just take advantage of the outdoors. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, you said 12 months and I'm like, that's crazy. It's, it's been so long that we've been just, you know, huddled up in our in our homes. But how has it been, you know, balancing your workload and kind of with being at home at the same time? Yeah, I mean, we, uh, so I work at a, a production company called World Famous that's based in Capitol Hill. And we um, went uh, remote pretty quickly in March, I think, after all the news started to hit, <clears throat> uh, at least in the state. And uh, I got my home office kind of retrofitted, like the, you know, computers at the office are all at everybody's houses now. We're on Slack. And for better or for worse, that's just kind of, we, we smoothed out all of the processes to, you know, work on projects, get client feedback and, you know, uh, all that stuff. And it is what it is. Like, I feel really glad and fortunate to be working a in a field that, you know, I, I really pursued and kind of, um, have been in for a couple of years now and, uh, to be getting steady work. Uh, I know a lot of people are, are, are having a hard time with that, especially in the, uh, production industry in Seattle, it's very uh, scattered with a big freelance culture. And so, you know, we, when we were, you know, in the pre-COVID time, we would have a lot of friends and colleagues come in as freelancers to work on projects, just kind of like case by case. And they would kind of float around different shops uh, and even maybe across the country uh, working on different things, which sounded really exciting. Me as a staffer, I would always be jealous to hear, you know, like, you guys worked on some pretty cool stuff, but you know, it, it also helps to have, uh, you know, kind of a steady, you know, keep, keep the lights on. Um, and it can be a little daunting being a freelancer. And so with that said, uh, our, our company has done, has been kind of going along, but a few months in, we had a, uh, a really sad, like, um, kind of uh, losing of a lot of uh, staffers and we're a small shop, like a lot of these yeah. Seattle shops, um, like maybe 10 years ago, it used to be pretty big, like big agencies and things like that. And then things got more, smaller and smaller, more boutique. Right. So the people that you're working around who are staff, like I've known people for six, seven years and they're all like good friends. And and then when we had to scale down, a lot of people had to leave that had been you know, at this company for 
almost decades at this point. And so uh, they had to learn how to be freelancers in a pandemic situation. And right. um, I'm still you know, bummed about that. I, I try to keep in contact with everybody how, how I can. And I feel lucky that I'm still getting a lot of steady work. So mm-hmm. I feel, I feel mostly fortunate. Um, yeah. Work is, work is busy as it is. And, but you know, I'm sure you guys can relate. Like you, <laughs> you've got worker class or whatever in one room and then you just go to the couch and then you just go to your bed and that's it. Like constant cycle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's basically my day. I start the day off and it's dark and the day it's dark then i just go to bed and then start over the next day but yeah i mean thanks for sharing about yeah it's tough right now with the job search and everything i think clarence and i are in our last year and we have a lot of peers that graduated last spring and it's been definitely tough for them to find work and a lot of them are designers and um yeah kind of forced into the freelance gigs as well and it's really hard to like get your name out there um, especially in times like this and then figure out because that in itself is a whole new type of career I feel like as well so yeah that's that's tough to hear but we're happy to hear that you're getting steady work and have kind of created that work from home routine as well um, but yeah we wanted to talk a bit about we, we were peeping on your LinkedIn and we saw that you were part of Rainy Dog when you were in undergrad and I think also parts of arts and entertainment. Um, but yeah, those are two things that Clarence and I are part of. So we thought that was really cool. How are those experiences? Oh, man. That's, a, yeah. that's, that's amazing that we're able to talk about this kind of full circle. I, I mean, because yeah. it's been a minute for me. I graduated in 2011. So my sister is actually your guys' year. Um, and oh, so wow. She, she's doing her last year in Spokane, where our family is. And, mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah, so I, um, yeah, I think somebody who wanted to pursue film at a school that didn't or just like the arts in general that at a school that didn't focus a whole lot on um film especially uh there wasn't really a production thing at the time i was just bored and tried to get involved into so many like clubs and things like that i was the film club president for three years and i think the same i think freshman year i got involved with rainy dog um uh doing my own show um what was it called it was called marteno waves it was an hour uh, it was an, an hour of chill out electronic music and an hour of dance oh um, yes lovely oh. Yeah. uh and it was fun i mean and we were in the old hub and it was a dungeon and but you know the the rainy dog office was kind of like this little oasis where you hang out with a bunch of music nerds and mm-hmm. um do your own show and listen to whatever you want while you do homework for two hours um but uh, <clears throat> yeah, and uh, I also wanted to get involved with Rainy Dog because I loved um, the shows that they were putting out. Um, local musicians and stuff just kind of are scattered around campus. And then occasionally they would collaborate with arts and entertainment to get big acts. Mm-hmm. Like my uh, freshman year, we had LCD Sound System and Arcade Fire. Wow. Um, which was... Wow. For, for those two bands to be on our campus at that point in time was huge and mm-hmm. that was like a like I remember that more than any like of the ball games that I went to uh <laughs> the my four years of school so I mean yeah that was like a big turning point um socially just like getting to meet people who were as into you know I, I grew up in Spokane and, and going to the big city big city um and and getting to meet people who liked a lot of the same stuff was huge i I think that's similar to everybody's college experience but um 
And then eventually senior year, I uh, got hired as the films coordinator for A&E. And uh, we had a really cool team that year. My um, music coordinator was uh, Ryan Trinidad, who um, he and I have still, still been close friends. We lived in New York around the same time. He's in LA now doing like music production stuff, but uh, he got, um, who all did he get? He got Kendrick for his junior what? year, I think. Yeah. Wild. And that, and it, yeah, oh man. And uh, it was, uh, and, and being able to follow A&E for the past like 10 years has been really cool just to kind of see, you know, what, what it's done with the campus and, and just how much culture happens because of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, Jubilee and I are, we worked with a &E. I'm still working currently with a &E right now. Um, so it's been so much fun to put on those events for sure. And yeah, go, going through the history and seeing, you know, like in the room, in the hub currently, there's all those posters of like past events. And so we've seen like the Kendrick and like all these other names. And it's just insane that, you know, a &E has always been like at the jump of a lot of these careers and a lot of these musicians. Um, and also with Rainy Dog, we originally started uh, at Rainy Dog and then it's, it became a podcast uh, as the pandemic kind of rolled in. But that's really cool to hear. And um, it's funny that you mentioned, you know, like having those artists. We, we recently had just last quarter Phoebe Bridgers um, right before all of the Grammys and stuff like that. And so just a little point to us. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. She played uh, SNL last night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's really cool to see how everything kind of turns around and stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I do feel like um, the college music scene is the most prophetic way to find out what acts are going to be big in the mainstream or whatever kind of niche you're in. You're just like, who, if you're finding out who is doing the college circuit, then that's that's kind of what you got to keep an eye on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned that you were the president of the film club for three years. Can you speak a little bit about, you know, like what kept you around the film club for so long and kind of how it helped you transpire into a career in film? I mean, yeah, uh, for those experienced in, in kind of working with or, or being part of uh, student organizations, you're kind of picking up, when you get started, you're getting picked up, you're kind of trying to like carry the energy of the previous group, right? So uh, mm -hmm. that the year that I started, there was a huge group of mostly guys that, wanted, that did the film club and just had it really just lively and um, I think it helped that they were all just kind of really into uh, improv too. So they, they, it was more like a comedy leaning film club. Whereas I was kind of like an art house film nerd. And then a, a buddy of mine, Tommy, we became co-presidents uh, when these guys wanted to kind of like, they, they were all graduating and we're like, we have no idea what the plan is for this club afterwards. So you guys can just kind of do what you want with it. And it was very scrappy. Like it was a lot of just me <laughs> tabling on Red Square for a long time. And uh trying to uh, throw a movie night in the dorms or something and like very interesting and odd people would show up. You'd be surprised like what kind of crowd comes out for like a film club. It's like, I don't know, it's, 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 it's a weird mix, but I mean, it's, you know, and, and we uh, tried to like have it be about film, um, film enthusiasm, like, like being like loving kind of the history of film. And cause mm -hmm. I was, uh, studying uh film studies through comparative literature and, and doing a lot of like film history and theory and stuff and having discussions about that but 
there's myself included a lot of people who are just frustrated that there wasn't any production happening on campus so we would make excuses to uh throw a, a 48 hour film contest and try to make something in 48 hours and um you know just different themes um screenings uh of of uh works in progress and things like that people just playing around and um eventually i got or my senior year, I was in a program through DX Arts, which I'm not sure is on the campus uh, now, but uh, they used to do a, a digital media experimental, you know, film program or like a series for, for a year. And uh, that was also, you know, kind of like mind blowing to me to kind of like get out of the box of what movies and film production is supposed to be like at that point um dslr was really picking up so uh cameras were starting to get really good and really cheap mm -hmm. and uh and then being in that class you learn about like installations and um mixed media and, and stuff like that and just kind of really getting out there which you know i think now we're kind of seeing that in practice uh people just playing with the mediums of being on social media instagram or whatever and kind of like making you know interesting experiences um and uh yeah, so the film club was, uh, it, it was more like getting excited about um, movies that have happened or, or, or projects that we, we would want to do. It was kind of like a networking thing to meet up with people who wanted to make small productions of something just for fun. We were all busy students, so we'd make something over the weekend. Um, but it was also kind of like, uh, yeah, see, seeing the trajectory of other people that come in and out of film club, like somebody is doing a lot more production stuff and might be quitting UW to like go work for a production company. And um, I think it was really important for me to have that outlet and not just classes to know, to, to like see or like kind of envision what could happen post-college career. Because yeah. we didn't really have like comparative literature students, they're like writers and maybe, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, stay at the, you know, in academia for a long time being professors or whatever. And I, I just didn't see that. I, I was... I was like, I, I got to go to New York or LA or something because there's nothing going on in Seattle right now. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I, I, the, that for me was like the positive aspect of being so frustrated about the campus not getting me what I was looking for. Mm -hmm. While at the same time, like A&E and Rainy Dog, that those really kind of like satisfied my college experience by having, you know, social life and around music and film that uh, I, I, I wouldn't have found otherwise. Yeah, for sure. I love that. I think that's what, you know, extracurriculars are for. It's like making your own opportunities that aren't already there. So I think that's great. And I think, yeah, the legacy is still going strong. I think I met some students last year that were still part of, maybe it's the, a different film club, but a film club at UW. And yeah, even hearing your experiences at Rainy Dog and A&E, like it's still going strong. We, Clarence and I get to meet so many um, really creative and passionate people through that too. And I think like looking back as we're ending our college career, like that's what really stands out to us. Um, but yeah, I think um, I personally met you through Asian Americans in Media, which is now Homeroom Media. But I think um, me and the team had similar experiences where we couldn't really find certain things in our college education. So we wanted to make our own um, club with our own opportunities, but that's how we got connected to Champ. And we, for the four of us got to see um, like a mini screening in the office of Yainin. Um, but just to preface on that documentary, um, it's about Champ's Thai grandmother um, and her sausage factory. Um, and it's a beautiful short film that takes place in Thailand and it's kind of 
um, there's few scenes of like interviews, but also just like her day to day and her story. Um, but yeah, we would love to hear a bit about um, that documentary. Like what was your creative process like? Um, and what are some things that you learned in that process? Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, so I, uh, as like a precursor, I'm um, a full-time editor at this company. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in the chair doing, you know, getting a lot of um, work that's uh, client facing and, and trying to, you know, noodle with things and, 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 and try to massage a, a story for a client or, or someone else that, uh, you know, that is kind of trying to get their message across. And, um, but at the same time, our office has a lot of really talented, um, storytellers, a lot of badass animators are in our office doing really fun kind of side projects, zines and, and being kind of like in that animation world. And, um, there's always just a lot of, uh, encouragement in the office to make our own side projects. And I had been planning on doing a documentary about my grandmother for a long time. I lived in Thailand in 2000, or I moved out of New York uh, in 2014 and lived there for about a year and a half. And, uh, and I, you know, remember um, growing up with my grandmother coming to visit us. I, I, there were a lot of cousins in the house. And, and so she, she would kind of uh, help raise us on, you know, during the summers and things like that. And She's gotten older, so she's been hanging back more at, in Thailand, um, but also because she's the boss of the family business and she has to run, you know, kind of be behind the desk. And she's a bit of a control freak and doesn't trust anyone else to do it uh, for her. Um, so having the opportunity to live in Thailand and have that experience, you know, personally, just uh, on my own, just kind of in my mid 20s and, and, and just exploring and kind of like reclaiming my uh, maternal culture was really important to me but also spending a lot of time around her and just kind of what personalities she or what characteristics she had that weren't just being my grandmother that she was a very that she is a very um shrewd businesswoman um in another life i can imagine her being a producer because she's just like you know getting things done all the time <laughs> uh and, and and it never switches from like work getting things done to life getting things done she's just got to do it um and, uh, and, you know, our, our grandfather passed away my freshman year of high school. Um, and so she's kind of been the matriarch, the lone matriarch that uh, has just kind of, she lives mostly on her own, but she has a lot of caretakers around her and staff members of the factory. Cause she lives like in the four floors above the family factory that she's been at her entire life. And, uh, and that's an experience that I feel like is very uniquely, um, Asian in a lot of ways, like uh, even in the United States, your family will run the family business and then live right above it. Like my cousins in Spokane, their parents have uh, a Thai restaurant downtown and, th and they still live above the restaurant. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of Americans or, or at least like very Western uh, Americans don't understand why they keep why families would keep work so close. But it is, you know, when it's a family business, it's just so, you know, ingrained in you that you are so close to it and like I, my cousins and I we grew up as restaurant kids um you know uh somebody a, a server would like babysit us uh, while mom and dad are cooking or whatever and we'd play with pots and pans and that's an, something that I'm kind of curious about maybe exploring one day at, for another short but um yeah and so I uh you know fast forward uh being at world famous they're like yeah champ you should just make something like make anything and, and 
I've been trying to pivot in uh, in my work uh, from being an editor to being a creative director. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, my my bosses, uh, they've been very encouraging, like, you know, if you're if you're trying to steer yourself in a new direction, just kind of explore creating a pitch and, um, you know, trying to get that produced and things like that. So it all started with making a pitch or creating a, a pitch deck. Mm-hmm. There was a visualization of what this could look and feel like and uh, in- inject as much personal story into it so that, you know, it, it feels like it comes out of the page, like people want this to get made. And um, yeah, and it, and, and it worked out really well in my office and I eventually sent it to, um, I reached out to some friends who I knew from Thailand who uh, knew any cinematographers or production people uh, in Chiang Mai where my grandmother is or in Bangkok and uh, this guy, Liam, he's a, a Canadian expat who does a lot of commercial uh, cinematography in Bangkok, um, got really interested. And uh, he was like, yeah, if you can set it up, I'll, I'll bring uh, an RE Alexa camera and, and a few crew guys in a van and we'll go up to Chiang Mai. And so I kind of piggybacked a family vacation in Chiang Mai to like do per, like a very rigid pr- production schedule for three days. Mm-hmm which is really, it's, it's, it's really odd trying to like be so, like I know the process, but it's all around my family while my family is kind of like watching like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> I'm like, we're good. We've been, we've been up since 5 a.m. I'm getting everybody coffees, like, you know, mm-hmm. and I, part of it, I, I kind of felt like, you know, I haven't, I've seen my family here and there, but they don't know exactly what, you know, your, your family never knows entirely what your interests are at a, at yeah. a certain point. And so to watch them be like, oh, champ does video stuff and like <laughs> it's a real thing is like growing up in front of your family over the course of three days is really bizarre <laughs> but um yeah and then my grandmother rallied she's you know she she's always like a put together woman in a, in a different pantsuit every day and to ask her to I mean she already gets up at like 4 30 in the morning and then goes to bed at like eight o'clock at night and so she's she's just she's got a consistent schedule and so she, you know to to put her in in that scenario it, it was very easy just to kind of like the the documentary is very much just um portraits of her in the spaces that she exists already mm-hmm. um which uh all i wanted to do was to kind of portray how an 80 something year old thai businesswoman kind of gets gets things uh going and, and like keeps her life moving while her family lives so much at a distance that's mm-hmm. it's it's supposed to be you know sort of a um a very a story of success for this woman but it's also a little bittersweet that the products of her success namely her family they're all off you know in the distance while she's just kind of holding things down in in the home country so um it was a very rewarding experience those three days of production and just kind of being around my grandmother like that um yeah and, and i'm very proud of it yeah for sure you mentioned that you know you were thinking about doing this project for a long time I, i'm curious to know like what inspired that initial thought to do this, you know, whether it is you wanted to tell the story or is it, did it kind of come to fruition as, you know, you, you became an editor and then kind of seeing other people do their work? Um, I think it probably was a mix of things that were happening. Uh, it's, it's always like uh, there are some inspirations in real life that are the germ for an idea that you, you, that you had and maybe you kind of like follow through with it m- much later. Um, it was a mix of yeah I want I I had at this at that point moved back from Thailand uh, a few years and 
I was so impacted by my experiences being back in Thailand for an extended period and being around my grandmother that I wanted some way to historically document it. Um, and even before that, uh, at, at the UW, I took some courses uh, through um, Native Voices, which uh, is like uh, uh, American Indian Studies or Native American Studies. And um, the, the classes were all about uh, photo documenting or audio documenting uh, Native elders, Indigenous elders and their stories uh, and oral histories and, and, um, and just pure languages because there's a lot of elders that are the last people who speak that, that language for different tribes. And so there's been this effort to try and record that and for posterity and, and for you know, cultural learnings, but also to preserve these languages and stories so that, you know, the, the culture of these indigenous communities still exists. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm not uh, indigenous, but uh, I definitely was kind of taken by, by that idea, especially in the context of my own history, my own uh, personal history and connection to Thailand. And, um, and my grandmother, uh, she is one of the last people who speaks a dialect of Thai that is very regionally specific in Chiang Mai. Like our family, it's it's almost like a southern accent that you try to get rid of when you go to school or go to the city. You don't want it to admit to people that you understand that. And she's just unapologetic about it. And um, she also, you know, she'll be on a phone call with somebody from Bangkok and code switch into Bangkok dialect to just be like, you know, I, I speak the you know regular lingo. And then she, you know, she gets off the phone, she'll be barking orders in her accent. And uh and and it's these auditor, aud, you know audio experiences or like these kind of like uh, aud, memories of language uh, amongst my family who speak that that uh, uh, still resonate with me and I feel like I wanted some way to kind of capture that experience um, and like the 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 film is is geared towards a general audience but I I think I I I want um, Thai Americans especially to be in the front seats because. That's uh, you know an experience that not a whole lot of us get unless we go back home for extended periods, and not everyone gets that opportunity. And um, and and you know the mater maternal figure, the grandmother or the auntie or, or the mother of the family, is such a is such a fulcrum to a lot of Asian American families in general, but it's, and especially Thai families. And um, there's just I mean there's a lot of there were a lot of motivations for it. But and and like I don't want to be too uh, you know uh, uh, like have a heated debate about politics in Thailand, but there's a there's a, a difficult uh, experience Thailand has been going through about patriarchy. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's good to remember that there are women and mothers and 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 maternal figures that have been holding or, or like kind of keeping things um you know there there'd be some chaotic moments uh in in kind of like daily life but uh but the mothers of the family hold a lot of things together mm -hmm. and um yeah and, and my grandmother especially and she i mean in her own unique way she's very much just a, a busy body and uh and in a lot of ways is not particularly maternal but um but it's you know uh i think it, it's captured in the film that that that, that unique uh, perspective of being a maternal figure is portrayed by her especially and uh i, I think uh it's it's good to preserve that mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think in the homeroom uh, magazine launch party, um, one of my friends is Thai and she was just messaging me privately like, 
wow, I'm so happy that I discovered this documentary because she just resonated with it so much. And I think, yeah, a lot, there's not a whole lot of Thai folks like in the Seattle area that I've met, um, like at UW at least. So I think it was really a huge deal for them to see that on screen and feel so deeply. Cause I think, um, yeah, just as an Asian American, there were just so many bits and pieces of that documentary that I just really resonated with myself and my grandmother. My grandmother is also like a badass. And I think resonated with like the um, counter narrative of the patriarchy. Like she held it down. Um, They also had like a restaurant in Delhi when my dad was growing up. Um, But yeah, I think one scene that really stood out to me was just um, the scenes where the factory workers were sharing kind of their experiences working there and how they just really had like that familial tie and so much respect for your grandma. And I think that's something that you captured really beautifully. And even with the audio, the soundtrack was so lovely for the documentary. I think it just really enhanced everything that I was feeling. And same with like just the colors in the film and the animations. Um, Our team was just so blown away like um, while we were watching that. And I think second time around, just the same things as well. But um, you did kind of mention how um, you did want the target audience to um, yeah, just be everyone, but also like Thai Americans or also just Asian Americans, Asian Americans in general. But I was wondering um, for you as a filmmaker, um, what does Asian American representation mean? Um, and what does that movement mean to you? And how should it be progressing forward? Because I do think there's a lot of arguments about what that looks like. And um, there has been a lot of progress in the last two years, especially. But I'm wondering from your perspective, what, what you think needs to happen or what that really means to you? Yeah, it's a, it's a big uh, evolving question um, and has a lot of facets given um, people's proximity to Asian, um, their, their Asian-ness, their, their uh, connection to the family, whether it be first, second, third, you know, et cetera, generation. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I've, I've been digging more into the conversation uh, over the past year while the documentary has been at festivals because they've mostly been Asian American centric uh, festivals that we've gotten into. And it's amazing to see how many uh, communities have been grouped together uh, to watch the, you know, share these experiences. And it, it's a lot of, you know, Seattle's a, a, a reasonably sized city of Asian Americans, but um, it's it's so refreshing to see the perspective from people in LA, people in New York and San Francisco. And um, and uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's just kind of validating as far as like the questions that you, that I've constantly had. And like growing up in the Northwest, uh, you know, all my friends growing up were, are, are white or, or like uh, also mixed race Asians. And we, um, I think there were a lot of questions we couldn't pin down until we uh, were part of a group discussion or, or you know, it, it would come up as a group that would be like, I thought that too, you know, mm-hmm. uh, otherwise, because everything just feels by default, like, you know, I, I yeah, it's, um, I guess, uh, as far as representation, um, I think, you know, we're living in a really interesting time in the film, in, in, as far as the film industry, where there's kind of like doors being blown open because yeah. because there's been an, a, a demand for production companies and um, producers and, and talent representation to uh, to look out for not just uh, it more Asian and Asian American talent, but, you know, just uh, BIPOC and just and general uh, 
anyone who's not white and, and a dude it's uh and it's awesome and it's and for me it's almost a little overwhelming because there's so many grant opportunities there's so many like initiatives by organizations like Sundance and HBO and, and you see and I start recognizing a lot of Asian American talent that are putting out really awesome things and it's like oh okay is is it all you know happening so fast that people aren't having feeling like confident to throw in their you know their interests and mm -hmm. um, you know and I feel like it's it's something that will evolve over the next few years right now it's it's very um, just the the American attention on Asian American and ness and asianness is very east asian and i think there it, it's important for there to be visibility for um you know uh darker skinned asian folks um and uh you know pacific islander folks that uh that there are these you know very interesting movements in those communities or in, even in those you know places like uh, the production scenes in hawaii and new zealand are crazy like that the the, the, the most incredible films that I've seen over the past year that are in the Asian American or kind of like API centric um, uh, communities uh, have been from uh, Pacific Islanders that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's wild what kind of stories they have and, and, and what ground they're, they're, they're reclaiming for their own personal histories as, you know, um, as these communities. And um, I think yeah, like I said, as as things change over time, right now it's like it's so it's so physical the representation that that is happening and need and needs to continue to happen of uh, Asian American and Asian writers being in the room and per people in the productions and things like that. So that and and actors and so you vi very visually you know it's a visual medium so you have to see it. Um, what I'm hoping for, as far as somebody who has a more kind of dif uh, uh, diffused like grown up in America born in Asia, grown up in America and kind of being back and forth is that um, there are, there's a lot of gray area in these stories that uh, I think uh, you, you get, you get more of the nuances in the writing. So um, Asian Americans and Asians being able to write stories that aren't particularly about their culture, mm -hmm. uh, I think is, is, is a harder representation, but um, I think is the, is, is the, is a, um, like a, a, sign, a signifier of success for that representation right. that, uh, you know, an Asian American can write a science fiction epic movie or a space mm -hmm. opera or like a historical drama. Like one of my, uh, one, you know, somebody who I've always been interested in career-wise is Ang Lee, who uh, he directed Brokeback Mountain and, uh, but he also directed Crutch and Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which, um, <laughs> You know, like, and, and like, I, I watched that movie very nuanced too. There's a lot of like interesting things about Taiwanese identity in, in that film and, and trying to be ch authentically Chinese, which is, you know, uh, it is an awesome conversation to have. Um, but uh, I, I, it's great that he has, you know, a mixed Taiwanese identity, but is able to kind of navigate into these different projects and tell different stories from his own perspective. Um, yeah, so I feel like the, it, once storytelling becomes more diffused with people of different backgrounds being able to be represented, um, I think that's when the visual things about it become ubiquitous. And like, it doesn't really matter too much that you have somebody who looks very particularly Asian on screen, as long as the story, you know, um, it, it serves the story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you bring up a good point about sort of how there is this level of pressure for 
films kind of like to become this thing about representation when in fact the narrative and the story behind it is much more than that it's like anything a broader story about you know family values or or you know triumphs and failures but it, it kind of reminded me of this film Minari that is coming out you know soon and I was watching an interview between Steven Yeun and Riz Ahmed and they're kind of talking about how you know like yeah these films are depicting you know people of color but that's not solely what it's about it's about like the bigger story and mm-hmm. a, a universal story if anything and I'm curious to know, like, looking forward to your, you know, your future films that you might take on, do you feel this level of pressure to, like, show representation on screen and also, like, for your film to become about that? Or is, I don't know, just kind of branching out into what kind of topics you want to, you want to tackle in the future? Yeah, I, I, um, I feel like I, uh, kind of fell into making a documentary uh, that was so, um, it, it couldn't have been anything else besides about representation because it was a full, it was about my my um, my family and my grandmother and these very real people that I identify with. Like it was such an easy story to tell because I'm so close to it. Um, but uh, as far as pressure for future representation like I, I personally would don't want to get too enveloped in cultural stories although I feel very comfortable in the documentary space I think I've had a lot of experience uh, in that space um, I think I just want to challenge myself to be able to um, r- write and uh, you know uh, develop stories that uh, it's just important to have a very different point of view like I said in, in in the writing of it, that there are writers in the room that are uh, are are able to inject inject their per- cultural perspective, but maybe not be so on the nose. Because mm-hmm. um, I, you know, we all we all uh, unless you know, I because like I've got a cousin, for example, who is um, who never left uh, Thailand, who has grown up very much more, you know, authentically Thai, uh, and uh, is so familiar with Thai culture in a way that I, you know, movies and TV shows and things like that in a way that I'll never, um, that I can only, you know, partially comprehend. But uh, I think, you know, it, it's a, just having the diversity of experiences like that um, just makes, just makes the the medium a lot more interesting. Mm-hmm. And it, like, I, 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 um, I'm very kind of familiar with like, uh, reality TV in the United States um, or it, you know in the West and it's whatever it's like it's like uh, popcorn shows or like just kind of throwaway shows that you in, enjoy and um, but I'm so glad that I, I can uh, that I'm that I'm aware of shows like there's this one show in, in Thailand that's uh, like a historical comedy romantic comedy drama um, I forget what it's called, but it was huge a couple of years ago and everybody in Thailand was talking about it. And uh, it was fascinating that they were making a lot of like, uh, so basically the premise is this uh, college girl who's obsessed with Thai ancient history um, and and like all of these historical figures in history are like all her boyfriends and she's obsessed with them. <laughs> she, it, it starts off kind of dark. She is in an accident and dies or something. And then, but then her soul is transported into the past. And then she starts living in in, in like uh, feudal Thailand, like because Thailand used to be all these different kingdoms, mm. and all everyone speaks in like a very old accent, 
and uh, and is wearing you know very traditional clothes, and every all the guys are super hot, and she's just like, oh my god, like I'm in my place, and she gets embroiled in like royal royalty and 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 drama, you know that that supposedly was very realistic that happened, and um, and I just love that that was such a fad for a while in Thailand that people were starting to wear you know throwback like ancient clothes, clothing styles, and and speaking this dialect, and that that was like the talk of of, of uh, Thai culture for a while mm-hmm. um, and just to be aware of that as a Thai American through you know people that I, I still know in Thailand is just like such a I don't know it's just so um, it just fills a void uh, like because I there's a lot of stuff in, in in western pop culture that I am I'm realizing I, I, I don't really identify with anymore mm-hmm. right um, yeah the key being anymore like there was so much that I watched as a kid that I was like oh I see myself in that but there's nobody on screen that looks or you know reminds me of myself that and 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 you know looking back in in Asian shows Asian films or films that have a lot of Asian representation is just like mm-hmm. oh yeah that's yeah that's the hero or those are the heroes that I wanted to identify with mm-hmm. but I didn't completely yeah definitely I would love to um, watch that movie if you <laughs> th- th- uh, remember the name later on it sounds really good but yeah I totally agree I think um, like the past couple of years has really been like putting those faces on screen and I think that's a huge step forward but like you said I think representation is also just normalizing the opportunities of having those voices in those spaces and like the writers and the screenplay and the directors because um I was watching this TV show called Pen15. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's obviously not like a forefront of Asian American representation, but I can tell in the writing that there's like these little gems hidden that really that really do like hit it on the head of what it's like growing up in America in predominantly white spaces. I think I recommend that show to everyone. It's really funny. Clarence, oh, you can watch yeah. it. Pen15 is amazing. <laughs> It's her, <laughs> the, the two girls are, are awesome and it and it, it's like it, it's it's fun watching like te- being a kid or a teenager it becomes like a, a microcosm of how uh like uncomfortable conversations happen so like the like the white girl uh who's like the best friend uh is awkwardly trying to be like an asian ally in the in the way that she's trying to oh, you know like but she's uncomfortable in her own skin and her own identity so it's it's great yeah it's awesome. I think the funniest part of that scene was she was trying to reenact a racist um, situation, but she was basically just being racist to her her Japanese best friend. But definitely recommend that. Um, but yeah, we're we're already nearing um, over thirty minutes, but we're so yeah, it goes by really fast on through <laughs> Zoom. But we just loved hearing about your experiences, coming full circle with your college experiences too. Um, and we can't wait to see what's in store for you, um, for your future projects. And we're excited, yeah, just to support you in that. Um, but we love to end all of our episodes with Song of the Week. Um, so, Champ, were you able to think of one? Uh, I, I'm not sure if I can identify a song, but an album I've been listening to recently is uh, Sound Ancestors. It's Mad Lib and Fortet. Um, and it's, it actually made me think a lot about the show at Rainy Dog that I used to throw because it would be like a, 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 um, a fir- the first hour was a lot of chill out and, um, you know, uh, Rainy Dog and, and the music I picked up from that was like very formative as far as what was coming out at that time, like, or, like mid 2000s. And, 
uh, I'm a I'm a big Fortet nerd, but then also Mad Lib, you know, worked with uh, MF Doom and 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 just you know, it's uh, so that just came out and it's really great and you know uh, R.I.P. MF Doom and and uh, just kind of the stamp that those two these two guys Mad Lib and MF Doom have on hip hop culture. Um, yeah, so that that one's great. It's it's great to study music. Um, it's great to have a podcast going and listen to that at the same time. Yeah, for sure. Beautiful. Yeah, Rainy Dog has such a special place in our hearts because it really just started off as we don't really know what we're doing. Clarence and I didn't know each other super well, but we really got to, yeah, kind of envision what this podcast is now through all those late nights or really early mornings. We used to have like an 8 a.m. show. Um, that's where we started. So um, <laughs> we <laughs> definitely checking that out. Um, but I can go next, Clarence. Um, yeah, go ahead. I'm late to this game, but um, I discovered Hope Tala um, a little bit ago. I think I would hear her in like my Discover Weekly, but she um, recently released an EP in November um, called Girl Eats Sun, and she has a track on there with Amine. Um, I've been listening to that on repeat this whole week and also just watching the music video of it on repeat as well it's like this beautiful like renaissance inspired um, music video and Amine's little bit in that is really great too so I recommend her um, she's also an Asian American artist so definitely recommend her but yeah passing it on to you Clarence beautiful um I just want to say really quickly before I say my song of the week I see all of those records behind you champ and it looks it looks great this is a large collection <laughs> a lot of it a lot of it uh i had to get like shipped from new york uh, actually my buddy ryan trinidad who worked at a and e uh he started getting into uh throwing dj nights and i was when i was living in new york i i, I was like working at a thai restaurant for a long time and saved a bunch of money to get uh technics 1200s these these two turntables and i got it like the day a dj like retired at guitar center in brooklyn and i remember there was a bunch of other older djs just kind of looking at me with my shopping cart and they're like oh my god this kid <laughs> and i had it for maybe like a full six months until i moved to thailand and i gave them to ryan and then he started throwing nights uh in in brooklyn and so these are the, the records have seen uh, the record players anyway have seen a lot of fun fun times but uh it's yeah slowly trying to like this is a very expensive hobby i <laughs> I would recommend it and not at the same time. Yeah, that's beautiful. Though. I, I love, I have a couple of records myself, but I need a, I'm looking to build that collection for sure. At some yeah. point. Um, but my song of the week, I guess also an album, but I've been listening to Van Jess's new uh, record and it's just so good. you know, like, I think they started kind of got a lot of buzz on YouTube, I believe. And, and um, so just listening to the new, I think it's the EP, it's called Homegrown and it's a vibe, you know, a lot of bouncy tracks and just kind of a, a nice pick me up, I think, especially nowadays. So mm -hmm. I'd highly re recommend it, but yeah, Chad, thank you so much for, for joining us. We just loved hearing all those stories and honestly, you're, you're just so good at storytelling, you know, like <laughs> whether it is on screen or just in, you know, in this episode today. So we really appreciate your time. Yeah, no, I appreciate you guys. Obviously, I could go on, but uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe another time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. But yes, thank you everyone for tuning in. We will have all of Champ's info um, available to you all and also like links to the documentary as well. Um, but yes, thank you so much for listening in and we will talk to you all next week. Peace.